God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show, and I'm joined by Leonor Kavoda. Hello, Leonor. Good morning, Scott. So, uh, how, how have you been lately? We haven't seen you in a while. Well, a couple um, days, right? I was here Monday. Oh, Monday. Yeah, okay. so today's, today's, today's only Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm keeping up with the news or the non-news that we seem to be hearing it's it's amazing you know we were talking before the show all right what's the news okay joe biden hasn't given a press conference uh he's broken records as pr- for a president not having given a press conference he's ruined trump's immigration policy and, and border fortification um and uh, andrew como is in a lot of trouble yeah. <laughs> so, so and it seems like that's been the news yeah. for the last few days <laughs> well here here's what i have on my social media feed since yesterday um first off there is uh a gun bill uh where marjorie taylor green says gun control votes this week in congress call your congress uh men today she used congressmen i don't know if that's allowed in the house um i think that maybe she just broke a rule uh, you're but are you supposed, supposed to, to say congressperson? <laughs> now you're supposed to say congress, uh, the, the thing, it, they, uh, whatever, you know. It's got to be gender neutral. That that man thing has got to go, especially coming from a woman. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, we're going to take a listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene. She says, call your congressman today. Tell them to oppose H.R. 8. Remember, H.R. 1 was to to uh, rig elections and take away our free speech. H.R. <laughs> <HR> 8. <laughs> yeah. The um, National Gun Registry and H.R. 1446 Permanent Firearm Waitlist. So, Permanent Firearm Waitlist and the National Gun Registry. What does that sound like? Let's take a listen. Hey everyone, this is Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. We've got big gun controls coming down the pipe this week in D.C. The first one is H.R. 8, National Gun Registry. We all know that gun registration leads to confiscation. We've got to stop that one ASAP. 
The next one is H.R. 1446. This allows D.C. bureaucrats to stop you from being able to buy your firearm indefinitely. Get on the phone, call your reps, call them, tell them, stop these bills, and let's protect our Second Amendment. Thank you very much. So that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of that's kind of leadership we want. We want to have somebody that speaks directly to the people and explains things like that. Well, that's what we need. We need. We don't need to have it all obfuscated. It needs to be clear. So, uh, uh, House Judiciary GOP said there's a crisis at the southern border, and it's President Biden's fault. So, in less than two months, the Biden administration has tripled the price of insulin, doubled the price of gas, and created humanitarian crisis at the border. So much for Build Back Better. And also in the news is Biden's German Shepherd. And someone wrote this, and I thought it was a pretty good point. They said, if Trump had German Shepherds in the White House, we'd already know the ethnicity of who got bitten. And from that post, um, I'm wondering if it's a person of color, you know, that they got bit by this German shepherd. Because, you know, there's this stigma mm-hmm. associated with not only the Nazis uh, with their German shepherds, but also the German shepherd police dogs um, that, that have gone after minorities. But did, and didn't um, Trump take a lot of heat because he didn't get a dog? Yes. I mean, people made a big deal about how he was the president and he needed a dog. You know, there was this uh, post on Facebook attributed to a writer, and I haven't yet. I have yet to. um, It's supposed to be on Breitbart. Maybe you could find this article. Okay. It says uh, there's a dark side to this story. Biden's family encouraged the dogs to attack a Trump doll, and then one of them attacked a person. They thought it was a. Uh, funny at the time, which is why they posted it on uh, IG. Not sure if that's... I have yet to vet that. I haven't seen that with my own two eyes yet. So we'll see about that. But um, if you do see it, yeah, you know, uh, let us know. Um, and then um, the other thing is... Well, we're just going to go up the, uh, up the chain a little bit. And then we got those two subjects we didn't get to cover yesterday too well. And that was uh, the Middle East crisis actually escalating. Uh, and what we're going to see is probably, uh, you know, a return to the Middle East yeah. in, in a, in a not-so-great way. Uh, we're also seeing, you know, of course, the buildup at the border. And it's a crisis that was made, you know, directly for them. They made it themselves. They made this crisis them, themselves, and they have only themselves to blame for it. And uh, Jen Psaki's taking a lot of heat, but really, you know, all they had to do was leave the pieces in place, and then the border was just fine. The border was doing the better than the border had done in years, maybe decades, with this new wall and the new strategy that was put in place. But like I said before, it's uh, it it's not the way you it, the Democrats want to exploit. They want to exploit the immigrant, the illegal immigrant, the illegal migration, or the immigration situation down at the border. So they want to do that because they want to turn. And I said this yesterday. You you weren't here, Leonardo, but I said 
They want to turn, you know, a head into an ID. They want to turn an ID into a registration, a voter registration. Mm-hmm. They want to turn a registration, voter registration into a ballot. And they want to turn that ballot into a vote. And right. that's exactly what it is. And they don't really care. The, the person that they're actually um, ear, earmarking for that doesn't even know that they vote. If you're an illegal and you're not even going to show up for your hearing, right? Do you think you're really going to show up when you have your ID all of a sudden and and contest, hey, I didn't vote for uh, Biden, I voted for Trump. You're ever going to show up and do that? No. They would throw you out so quick, unless you voted for Biden, then they would keep you. Yeah. They'd figure out a way to keep you if you're an illegal migrant. Oh, we're going to give you amnesty because you vote for the right party. But we're not going to give a Trump supporter or a Make America Great Again supporter or American First Policy supporter. We're not going to give you the same kind of... It's going to be two standards of justice. It's what we got going on around here in it's America. Gonna, it's going to be. It's going to continue to be. How's that? If, yeah, it, yeah, it's absolutely. And so they, they, they really made this their own crisis. And that's the sad truth. That is uh, definitely sad. So we're going to uh, check out a couple of other things that, that were posted that I thought were really poignant and profound before we get into some of our planned, um, planned subjects. Um, so uh, one of the ones is the, the subject that we're going to cover is how to poison. Let's see. How to poison the data that big tech uses to survey, surveil you. And Leonora's read up on that, and we're going to cover that in a little while. Um, But I want to get to this one, uh, too. Molly Hemingway said, What have we learned over the past year? Lockdowns don't work. Politicians love power. Experts lack expertise. Lockdowns afflict the poor and comfort the wealthy. I wonder how they comfort the wealthy, actually. The media is complicit in furthering the panic. We need to totally revamp public education. Okay, so... Well, yeah, I, I, I'll comment on that. Lockdowns afflict the poor and comfort the wealthy. I mean, the way I interpret that to mean is the poor can't go out to their you know, customer-facing job at the Dunkin' Donuts or, or a restaurant, etc., whereas the wealthy can take their white-collar jobs and they can work from home and they can have uh, more time with their family. They can have, you know, other, uh, you know, accommodations and then suddenly they're not commuting, they're not doing a bunch of other things. Well, we have a, we have a fairly And they've had wealthy, no loss of income. We have a well-educated, wealthy friend who... Um, uh, was working in New York City, uh, and the job itself, she, she hadn't even met her boss in months, right? It, it was months before she even met her boss because it was this international type of firm that right. uh, um, that uh, that basically um, would communicate through tele, telework, right? Uh, people from all over the world would have Zoom conferences and mm-hmm. all kinds of different events, Um and she finds herself in a European city uh, right now, working through the pandemic. And they weren't even scheduled to come back until August of this year. Yeah. And so the idea is is that, um, and she's European herself, so she could spend time with her family and work from there. Um, 
she could spend time in in the country in the city that she's in and the idea is is that you can also order instacart it costs a little more but if you're rich you can afford it right you can all instacart you can have uh all these nice restaurants deliver the food to your door you can go to a fancy gym um you know notice that uh some of the lower lower end gyms were closed um uh, around our ne- neck of the woods and some of the more affluent gyms uh, were open. And why do you think they're open? They're open because, yes, they want to make money, but they're open because there was pressure in the uh, community that, you know, let's get, you know, let's get the gyms open because we have clientele that want to come in. Uh, yeah. I- I'm sure that happened. But, you know, um, again, Molly Hemingway wrote this, and I thought it was profound. What have we learned over the past year? Lockdowns don't work. Politicians love power. Experts lack expertise, like Fauci comes to mind. (laughs) That's who I thought of, too. Funny. (laughs) Lockdowns afflict the poor and comfort the wealthy. That was the one we just discussed. The media is complicit in furthering the panic. And that's a no-brainer right there, right? Uh, And then we need to totally revamp public education. Now, what do you think about, what do you, what do you make of that? Oh, the revamping public education? Yeah. And we're going to talk about that well, more. But what do you make, why do you, Molly Hemingway, why do you think she said that? Well she, well, she said something that was already well known, but the thing about the um, pandemic, and I've said this before, as I have many others, the pandemic has just highlighted problems that already existed. And with education in particular, we know there are a lot of problems with public education. But what the pandemic did was it showed that the that there, the teachers unions are dictating a lot of what happens. The teachers oh, right. unions That's were the true. ones who didn't want That's to open the schools. True. And, you know, going back to the po- point about uh, the rich kids benefiting and the poor kids not benefiting, it was the poor kids that are at home without uh, in-classroom learning that they so need. And they were all, not saying rich kids don't oh, need it. Too. Of course they do. private schools and private tutors. And, right? Exactly. Private yeah. schools. Uh, many private schools found ways to exist, found ways to do hybrid models. And families well, that, who had you, resources created these things called pods, where you'd get a group of uh, you know kids together from different members of your neighborhood. You'd have you'd have a pod, a learning pod. The learning pod probably huh, cost a hundred dollars. Uh, get this: the learning pod would cost about a hundred dollars an hour or something. And you and but of course, how many hours do you need? You're probably doing this thir- at least twenty five, thirty hours a week. And people would collectively participate. But again, this was something that people with means could do. Right. You know, the COVID thing, really, I mean, when you talk about the unemployment and the service contractors and the people that were in the services-oriented industries, um, whether it be waiting tables or, you know, all delivery and and all kinds of other things, they're on the front lines. Nancy Pelosi says, hey, we're not going to go to work today uh, uh, while I go to the beauty salon uh, privately uh, with my own private entrance. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people struggling. And I, you know, said it before and I'll say it again. You know, I always think about, this is my mind. Everybody has their own mm-hmm. window in the world and how they see things because of our life experiences. And that's what makes things so interesting is is everybody has sort of stood in their own two shoes for however many years they've been alive looking through the lens that only they can see. Which is fascinating, really, when you, when you peel that onion philosophically or whatever. Um, 
You know, like when I take a look at my father, for example, I've lived my whole life looking at him, you know, from a from a different perspective than he can possibly look at himself. Of course. You know what I, I mean? Feel, I feel the same way about yeah. my parents. And yeah. I, I think that subject so fascinating. No, I do too. Um, but in the, in the case of, um, uh, I always think about the, 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 the New York artist, the New York actor, the New York creative thinker or whatever that uh, lost their job. They, they were in almost over their head as it was. They were living in a 400-square-foot apartment for twelve to $1,500 a month. It was all they could afford. With a roommate or a couple of roommates. Well, no, not with those. But if you got a roommate, you're up to two, three thousand yeah. know? dollars But, um, you know, that's, I'm talking about the person who's living alone in a studio apartment um, and uh, trying to make ends meet. And uh, <laughs> I got a, a you're, you're, you're swatting a fly. <laughs> yes. And and so um, <laughs> and and uh, I always think of that person though because that person not only made that sacrifice to live in New York because of the New York experience. I lived in New York City. You lived in New York City, Leonora, and it is kind of a wonderland of things. Back in the day, yeah, in the '90s when we lived there, uh, and you lived in the '90s and the millennium, and you kind of grew up in that area. But the idea is is that it's a wonderful place. If you could afford it. And it's a great place if you want to be an artist of some sort, if you want to be and an actor, a musician. if you have a mayor like Giuliani, like I did. Yeah, me you know, too. Like me too. So the idea is, is that um, you definitely can uh, enjoy it, but th- here they can't even go out to the bar. There's no bar. You can't go out to uh, anywhere without wearing a mask. There's a Black Lives Matter Marxist thugs in the streets painting up your street. Telling you how you should think, what you should say. And if you don't agree with them, they'll burn your house down. That's all words that came out of the Black Lives Matter movement. And then the other thing you and, have to do. And deal you're paying with. for that paint, and you're paying for the mayor to do, what his, do, do his business. But at the same time, they can't act, they can't paint, they can't serve uh, tables, they can't make ends meet. And they have to sit there and listen to Big Bird de Blasio fight with Andrew Cuomo, who's been killing like 15,000 people and womanizing another six or seven. And, you know, to your point, you go to the other coast and we have virtually the same thing happening with Gavin Newsom. People go to California, but particularly the L.A. area, because they want to act and they can't. The, you know, a lot of production shut down, and the restaurants and are shut down. And tourism is down. <laughs> we wouldn't go to California because they have a, a quarantine right. uh, situation. Yeah, when we yeah when we couldn't go to Mexico and we changed it to go to Florida. We were yeah. going to go to Cancun, and the reason why we ended up in Florida, as you uh, may, people who listen to this show know, we did a show for a week in Florida. Uh, was Florida didn't have this. So what happened was that the rules changed, and next thing you know, if you're going to come back from Mexico. You have to actually take a test. We were only going to go for five days. So so basically, you have to take um, within three days of your flight. Your return so that flight. means somewhere in the middle of your trip, you got to take this COVID test. Now, their tourism industry, it would behoove them to give us a negative test. And we know that there's been many po- false positives. So next thing you know, you get one false positive, And guess what happens? You stay there for 14 days. At your own expense. On your own dime, at your own expense, living in a hotel, uh, just waiting it out. 
And you can't, you, you can't, you can't go, go to, to the beach and you can't go to work. So we so, went to Florida. So so went to Florida. But, but we even talked to say, ah, what about San Diego? And um, all shut down. He shut down. Yeah. <laughs> so and long know. flight and shut down. So um, so there is a report out. Uh, Jack Posoviak put it out about the cardiopulmonary arrest complicating law enforcement subdual. Oh, so this is about um, George Floyd, right? And there's this report that I have yet to read the full report. But the interesting part about it is it's been out for eight months. And Jack Posobiec said he's going to tweet the whole time during this, uh, this um, uh, basically this trial, this George Floyd. Um, I forget the cop's name, but... Uh, uh, Chauvin. Chauvin, yeah. Donald Trump Jr. tweeted, this should come Derek as... Derek Chauvin. Yeah. This Derek? Should, I think yeah. it's Derek. And Donald Trump Jr. tweeted, this should, this should come as a shock to exactly zero people. Half-sister says Meghan Markle has narcissistic personality disorder. So, you know, that's on page six of the New York Post, I guess. Yeah. Um, What do you make of that? I mean, that to me is... uh, Well, you know... I can't believe these people. I I I, I saw these pictures of their house. Yeah. They have a tennis court, a pool. Yeah. They have acres of land. They have hedge... It's It's like a... Many, many million dollar house. Yeah. I mean, this house is looks like a castle, and it's in, I think it's in California. Yeah, and I'm just saying to you, wow, what a house! And they're living like they're like we're just two kids trying to figure out how to make a living in America. Nah, not really. You know, um, it's absolutely absurd that they have the attitude that they have well i think i think the point one point that the sister look, again you're to, to the point you were making earlier you're never in another person's shoes you really never know what they're going through and what's happening but she did the sister did make one interesting comment that i thought made a lot of sense she said that megan isolated harry from his family and maybe you know some of her concerns about the, about the uh, the paparazzi, which were similar concerns that Princess Diana had. A lot of those other things that happened, you know, when you're under that level of spotlight, it's very difficult for people. But again, you're being comforted by all your wealth and other things. But but the idea that she did technically, whether she intended to or not, Harry is now isolated from his family. So that's where she's in part she's making the point about the narcissistic personality. Now I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist so i'm not going to try to diagnose uh, a famous person but that is a little troubling and well, yeah but you know what i don't i don't want to defend the royal family uh, well, either because either. they've been a bunch they've of, been a, well they've been a bunch of whatever so this i'm sure there's some truths to charles both. i mean come on what but, a, what but, a but loser look, look what happened to princess diana again i'm sure there's some validity on both sides but it's it's an interesting dynamic <laughs> what happened with them so Michael Burgess writes this. He says, Last week, over 100 migrants who tested positive for COVID-19 were released. And DHS.gov needs to provide answers to the American people on why their health was not prioritized and Title 42 wasn't enforced. I let a letter, uh, I let a le- let a letter to DHS Secretary Mayorkas seeking those answers. So this is... Um, and a doctor, uh, and I believe a congressman from Texas, 26th District, 
uh, OBGYN. And, you know, basically, he's wondering, where's the health concern? Charlie Kirk wrote this. Notice how silent the experts are on untested, unmasked, illegal immigrants pouring over our southern border and compare that to how adamant they were about you not spending Christmas and Thanksgiving with your family. Ask yourself, why? Why is that? And again, I already addressed that at the opening of this show. I said, they turn turn those heads of cattle, they treat them like, the Democrats look at the illegal migrants as cattle. Right. Okay? Just like a farmer looks at cattle, number 222, right? And they give them an ID, they turn the ID, they they, they, they didn't register that ID, and then they turn that registration into a ballot, and that ballot becomes a vote for a Democrat. What they need are the IDs, and then somebody somewhere will take that ID and register online. Like I said, in the lead up to the 2020 election, it did occur to me, it did in fact occur to me, and I was looking at it and I was like, whew, what's, what's going on here? There's something going on here. I've never seen anything like this before. And I, I made a note of it, but I didn't know what to make of it, really, um, except what, I, what I'm about to say. And this is what I thought from the very first second, first get-go. Because I don't, I don't give Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey the benefit of the doubt. They never gave me one. Why should I give them one? And I, I know what a corrupt, you know, libtard they are. I know, I know how biased they are. I know how ideologically driven they are. Um, and what I saw was a very concerted, coordinated uh, effort to get out the vote and to register uh, people. Mm-hmm. And so what it was was they were basically in need of bigger numbers uh, to create ballots so that they can take those ballots and use them as placeholders for votes needed. And that's exactly what I think happened. And um, there were all these online. I went through and I clicked on one of them just to see what was going on because I was already registered. But I, I wanted to see. And I thought it was very compl- complicated. But what it was was they didn't really care about the complication um, and the person really didn't need to prove their identification because if they filed it, right, it was a form, they filed it, they, they weren't going to need it because like in the case of Wisconsin, you weren't going to need an ID if you said that you were uh, self-quarantining because of COVID. Yeah. So, and, or there was a state mandate. And the other thing is true too, and you could peel this onion a little bit more and you could actually say, Maybe that's the reason for the draconian measures. The draconian measures were to give you a alibi mm-hmm. to basically say to you, you have to stay indoors. You're not allowed to go to these public facilities. You're not allowed to do these things. So, you know, and, and our government facilities are closed, right? So next thing you know, they say, well, the government facility was closed due to COVID. So they had every right to register online. And when they registered online... Um, they had every right to un- feel to feel unsafe uh, by leaving their doors, and so they had to. They weren't given an option. They had to, if they wanted the, their civil right to vote. Uh, they had to do these things. See, it was all part of a coordinated effort 
to support this fraud. And the COVID was done in a very, very malicious way and by radical liberal um, leadership. And now it's starting to come home to haunt them, but I guarantee you nothing's going to happen to Andrew Cuomo. Can you imagine Andrew Cuomo behind bars with his AG that hates Trump so much? Right. Um, no, I don't think anything no, is going to happen. He's to, uh, you know, unless somebody yeah. really wants to make him a sacrificial lamb, it's not going to happen. He's, so, uh, he, you know, he comes from the Como dynasty. I, I very much doubt we will see him in, a, in an orange jumpsuit. So Molly Hemingway says all politicians have gaffes, flubs, and boneheaded things they say. But when your public statement are few and far between, so protected by teleprompter guidance and friendly media, and a significant percentage of your words are unintelligible it's a problem and then you got Jen Psaki Jen Psaki a reporter said uh, the reporter asked Jen Psaki the press secretary is this a crisis at the border and she says I don't think we need to sit here and put new labels on what we have already conveyed is challenging (laughs) That this is not the time to come, that the majority of people who come to the border will be turned away, which is factually accurate. And what we're really talking about in terms of uh, the people who are being let in are unaccompanied children. That is a policy decision which we made because we felt it was the most humane approach to uh, addressing what are very difficult circumstances. The unaccompanied children are being children that are be, they're being exploited well, by know, coyotes and and all kinds of different people. They're being exploited for a lot of different reasons. You know, you know what made me think of this. Uh, you know, we were rewatching the movie Titanic the other day, yeah, yeah. and there's a scene in which one of the principal characters, who's you know, there's not enough boats for everybody to get off the ship, as everybody well knows right. the story. He sees a child and uh, who's I guess has gotten separated from his from her parents, and he grabs the child and says oh um this is you know i have oh, a child right. yeah. and, and my, billy zane's character and billy zane's character and my, grabs the child uh, she's got nobody else in the world but me and i remember thinking at the time that this sort of reminded me of what's going on right now where you have people taking kids as, as, a, as a way to get themselves across the country that's right he was the antagonist in the movie he was yeah. the mean guy he's the bad guy and he's the bad guy and uh so I remember you said something like this. You said, oh, so he does have a, a soft I side hadn't seen it heart. in a while. And then yeah. I said, nope, not so much. No, not so much. No, he's just using the kid to actually uh, be, be his uh, golden ticket to get on one of those uh, half-empty boats. But that's what it reminded me of, the whole co- coyote situation. All right, so here's the rest of the Jen Psaki uh, segment. Circumstances in the region. And that means there are more children, kids under the age of 18, of course, coming across the border. At this point, is this a crisis at the border? Look, I don't think we need to sit here and put new labels on what we have already conveyed is challenging. What we have conveyed is a top priority for the president. What our policy teams are working on every single day. They obviously, there was a trip to the border uh, this weekend. They are working uh, over the course of every day uh, since then on putting in place policies that can help address what we're seeing and, and help ensure that we are uh, keeping these kids safe and moving them as quickly as possible from uh, border patrol facilities to uh, to shelters where they can have access to educational resources, health resources, mental health resources, 
legal aid, et cetera. Wow, that sounds expensive. <laughs> it does sound expensive. But, you know, but here again, Scott, and you and I keep talking about this. That sounds like a lot of money. <laughs> no, we've got the, <laughs> From the middle class taxpayers. Yeah, exactly. But we, we, we have the hypocrisy once again. If You know, just in the communication that Jen Psaki is having with the reporters, do you think anybody would have let Kaylee McEnany or uh, Sarah Huckabee or Sean Spicer get away with saying something along the lines of, oh, we don't need to put new labels on it? Okay, hey, answer the question. Is it a crisis? Yeah, well, the American people have a right to know. And well, Kaylee, I, Kaylee, Kaylee McInerney was on the news yeah. recently. Uh, she was addressing Jen Psaki's position of that was th- this was the most progressive bill that we've ever put out. Yeah. So it's like if Trump said this is the most radically conservative bill we ever put out, you know, it would be pushed back. Whatever that bill was, but but progressive is a compliment in this day and yeah. age, apparently. But but you think about that. Think about what she just said. Okay, I'm going to let you listen to it one more time here. Uh, since then, on putting in place policy. So so they're 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 couching this and saying we have a heart we, that we have in the name of humanity. Uh, we are going to take care of these un, unaccompanied children, these unaccompanied minors. Number one, that's an exploit. Um, hey, uh, you know, my child's sick, right? All right, well, go ahead and send him up to the border. On a com- but you can't go with him because if you go with him, then, you know, it's problem. <laughs> so just send your child alone up to the border and they'll give him all the free medical, free stuff that he needs. So check it out. That can help address what we're seeing and, and help ensure that we are uh, keeping these kids safe and moving them as quickly as possible from uh, Border Patrol facilities. Meanwhile, they're going to be locked in a cage for quite a long time. To, uh, to shelters where they can have access to educational resources, health resources, mental health resources. Education, health, and mental health resources. The word resources is, is uh, education, health, and mental health money. Right. It's money. It's taxpayer it's money. Legal aid, etc. Legal. Oh, le- legal. Free well, lawyers. Well, 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 that's what they have. They have free immigration lawyers. So they got they got free legal. Yeah. Free they, health. Yeah. Free mental health, and and free. Uh, uh, what was it? What was that? One? Education. Education. And yeah. then they're also going to get a place to live. <laughs> Again, but this is being couched as you can't Safe. be and against moving them children. them as quickly as possible from uh, Border Patrol facilities to, uh, to shelters where they can have access to educational resources, health resources, mental health resources, legal aid, etc. So where does it stop? Is it just the Mexican kids? Or is it the Colombian kids? Is it the per- Peruvian kids? Is it the El Salvadorian kids? And is it, it the Syrian kids? Right. Is it the refugees from the Middle it's, East? It, it's apparently is it it's, everybody from Africa. It, apparently, it's who's anybody who's going to put the who, bill for this. We are. That's the whole. Are point. these people that are given the aid getting paid? The resources are they getting paid? The people who are giving, the people that are given the education, the physical, uh, of course, the they are getting. Of course, they're and getting paid. The legal aid are of they all working the, for free? No, they're all getting paid in one way or another. Okay. I mean, because if... So, and guess who's paying for that? The middle class. Well, it's being paid for by... Because every uh, time they make that argument, they say 1% of the the top 1% couldn't possibly even pay for health care. Well, that's true. And you know why? Because 
It's the whole middle class that's actually footing the bill for most of this stuff. No, most of the things that you just discussed are all going are all going to be government funded. Now, now there may be some things that might come through private resources, like some of those legal wow. um, aid societies get a lot of get private money, but most of it's government resources. All right. So we have a subject we want to talk about today. Uh, this and the Middle East, and I like this topic. Yeah, I, I have an idea of how we can tackle this. Okay, go ahead. I'll well, my idea is um, the the article, which is uh, this paper that was presented to the Association for Computing Computing Machines Fairness, Accountability, and Transparency Conference. Uh, it's being presented. I guess it's next week. The one titled "How to Poison the Data That Big Tech Uses to Surveil You." They give three. Well, three, they also add algorithms are meaningless without good yeah, data. Yeah, the public can exploit I, that to demand well, change. Well, That's well let me finish part. my idea. Yeah. So, my idea was that they have three major ways, and as uh, you're a tech person, I was going to read them off, and then I was going to ask you what you thought the validity oh, gosh, of it would I'm be. Don't put me on the spot. Well, all right, let me read them off. All right, so the first I, way I that no, no, the answer to the question. Well, well, then we're going to give you a test. Okay, so the first idea that they mention is something called a data strike. And a data strike is inspired by the idea of labor strikes, which involve withholding or deleting your data so a tech firm cannot use it, leaving a platform or installing privacy tools, for instance. So what do you, what do you, so Scott's as a IT guru, what are your thoughts on how effective it is to take a data strike? What, well, all right, let, all right. I don't know what a data strike is. <laughs> a data strike is, just to repeat it, is it's inspired by the idea of a labor strike. So it involves withholding or deleting your data. So a tech firm cannot use it, leaving a platform or installing privacy tools, for instance. In other words, like, you know, when they ask you for all these questions and sometimes it's required for whatever it is to work. And in some cases, it's just because they're mining your data. You know, if you sit there and you don't put the data there or you fo- or you set up your own internal privacy oh, tools, so how you're effective about, is it? Okay, now I understand. So consumers are basically uh, saying, I'm going to go on strike with providing my data. Exactly. Okay, I but get it. What are your thoughts on how effective that is? Well, yeah, I mean, we do that. I think we, we all do that every day. Yeah. I think we I, all do. I've tried to conscientiously do that. Well, you know, one. Okay, folks. One of the things I do, um, I, I, uh, if I sign up for Amazon, I'll put, I'll put it, and I have my own company's domain name, right? And I can create any name that I want. I'll uh, like Discover Card, Discover at blank domain dot com, right? Uh, Amazon at blank dot com, and. Uh, I might use uh, my AOL address as well, uh, or my Gmail address, or my ProtonMail, or my Hotmail, Outlook.com. And I'll have a series of a variety of email addresses for different purposes, right? And I might even have my name... Well, that's what happens. They were listening just as we speak. They don't like what I'm saying. Um, So so the the other part would be uh, that if you don't have your own domain, then what you can do is you can code your name. So you can put your name and a sequence of numbers and another name uh, and the sequence of numbers and you open up different accounts for different reasons. And you could throw them off the scent um, and th- that would be one thing to do. And then the other would be to get, you know start using VPSs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, start using... What's um, a VPS for those people who don't vir- know the Virtual acronym? private network. Uh, uh, virtual vir- private systems. Yeah. Okay. V- uh, well, it's a virtual private IP address. Okay. Okay, so you can 
subscribe to a service and basically you can get yourself a new identity. Uh, and if your IP address is blocked, for example, you can skirt around that block by um, having a different uh, v- v- uh, I meant to say VPN, yeah, virtual private, private number, network. Uh, virtual private number. There's also virtual tunneling and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But um, in any case, the point is, is that I use a different email address for a lot of different accounts. And I don't just use one like social media for all of my social media accounts. I might have like Facebook, uh, a, 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 an account dedicated to Facebook. That way, when the mail starts coming in and I see the to address, uh, I'll know who's been selling my data to right. who. And uh, I, I also spend a lot of time unsubscribing. I never, ever am nice and offer up, you know, yes, yeah, send me those alerts. I get too many alerts as it is. Exactly. It's almost rendered my emails useless. So, you know, the idea is I put all of those different um, tertiary email addresses I just described. And what I what I do is I, I take the, all of those in an aggregate and I put those and set up uh, in Outlook a rule to say when the mail comes in, I take the mail and it gets automatically sent over to that folder. And that way it doesn't cloud, get clouded into my main email address, which I only use for business. Right. So that would be one way to do it is to track. And then I also use fictitious names. Um, I remember my friend on Facebook, uh, Bruce. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he has a last name. Um, but he's known on Facebook as Brubumsky, I think. And yeah, Brew Bumsky, he's my ski buddy, right? And so. Oh, oh just got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Brew, he's a ski bum. Right. Right. And in any case, he's a, he's a liberal as a day is long. But the idea is uh, he went out and got a credit card one day. <laughs> it was funny because he's pretty well off and goes and gets a credit card and it, he gave the name Brew Bumsky. Yeah. And so his name was Bruce. Bumsky, right? right. What, he didn't even use a real name, but his social security, I guess, was enough to, you know, because he has the big house on the right, hill. Right, right, it triggered it, yeah. So, so he was able to get the credit card no matter what. So he showed me his credit card one day, and it was like, Brew Bumsky? They didn't, yeah, it's, you know, like that's the name on the card? Wow. You know, but yeah. So I have a couple of pseudo names. Uh, that I would use for those types of purposes. And again, that's just another way to track. Uh, so you use alternate email addresses. The one way that they're gravitating toward now is it, like Parler is actually probably the worst mm-hmm. offender of this. And that is uh, that uh, they only have... They only have one account. You can only set up one account per cell phone number. Yeah. And you must have a mobile number. Yeah, no, I've actually had that problem with other types of sites because if you have if you have multiple accounts within a site because uh, – You might have three businesses. Well, like for example, like I'll, I'll give ADP as an example. Yeah. I use ADP for work and I need – I have three different um, like uh, accounts because of different functions, personal and mm-hmm. then like accounting and then also human resources function. And But, it reco- but, but I only have one cell phone. Yeah. I mean, so that's that's the problem. The second choice, the second um, method is data poisoning, which involves contributing meaningless or harmful ad, uh, excuse me, harmful data, 
Ad nauseum, for example, is a browser extension that clicks on every single ad served to you, thus confusing Google's ad targeting algorithms. What do you think about that? I had that? a secondary number a long time ago. Yeah. And I still remember it. It ended in 1114. Yeah. Okay, so it was a Philly number, ended in 1114. Sometimes I'll give that number. Yeah. And I, just to fill in the blank, and I'll just say I'll give them that. Yeah. So what and, do you... And so, what happens is that's poisonous number. That, yeah. That's not a real number. Yeah. That's never going to get to me. Right. It does trace to me. Um, this number could trace to me. Uh, so therefore, it might prove legit in some you know evaluation. But uh, it's long been gone. It's been dead for about 10 years, yeah. right? So I might give that number out because I don't want to have... You know, especially if it's an if it's an insurance request uh, quote quote request. Right, right. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I, I don't want to be getting bombarded by insurance agents wanting to sell me insurance. So I'll give out that number. You just gave me an idea, actually. Yeah, and, and by the way, <laughs> folks, you can't be nice because this is all done. You know, this is a do- it's a doggy dog world out there. You got to you got to do what you got to do. All right, and then the the third one is conscious data contribution. Con- I'm sorry, that's a tongue twister. Conscious data contribution, which involves giving meaningful data to the competitor of a platform you want to protest, such as by uploading your Facebook fo- photos to Tumblr instead, or or you know, we've talked a lot about this with Twitter. I don't quite and, understand that well, last one. So, well, the idea is using is. Uh, in, if you're protesting Mark Zuckerberg, for example, you send things to Tumblr instead of uh, Facebook. Uh, like an, an analogy I'll give you is people were protesting Twitter by going to Parler. Oh, so... Going to a competitor. Yeah, well, everybody's doing that. that that's everybody, another... You that's, go to the top of everybody's Twitter that's page another, and they say, find me on Telegram here, Parler Well, that's here, another way. Same name over on Gab. Yeah. yeah. All right. Is that is that the those article? Are, well, there's more a little bit more to it, but that's the, those are three well, of the major yeah, the ideas. The way I read this title, uh, how to poison the data that big data. So, so basically, they're you know you got to think about how they think, right? And you got to now if it's a friend, like if it's BugleCall.org or MagaPack.org, yeah. and I can tell you this, we're going to be uh, putting out new ways to gather. Um, information but information to actually invite you to events and to send you a newsletter about different media events like virtual media events like zoom uh, conferences and meetings with speakers we are not going to take your data and sell it exploit it or misuse it Um, so you know one of these things that we're working on morning noon and night is buglecall.org and magapack.org. And we are trying to figure out ways to <clears throat> create engagement, uh, hold to uh, make sure that people show up to our virtual events. Eventually, we're going to have live events once COVID you know, really ends and hotels open up. We're going to actually have networking events and things that are going to be fun. Yeah. Um, cocktail hours uh, and fun things to do. Uh, great speakers uh, uh, to to perpetuate and fulfill our objective, which is to um, support the America First policies that will make America great again. That's we, our that's our uh, tagline. And we have a number of great events in the works already. We we're going to be having a religious freedom event. 
Uh, we're also we also are going to have a, a school choice event. We're having um, an America First Foreign Policy event, and we're going to have an election integrity event, and then also a cancel culture event. So all of those are in the works, and you're going to be hearing more about them on uh, Bugle Call and, and on the Scott about Adams this Show. Stuff every day, and we're going to start to have a series of guests on the Scott Adams Show, and um, we're going to feature those guests in our media section of our new websites. And again, MAGA PAC is more like grassroots, small donation kind of organization. It's uh, with a small donation of $5, you end up getting on a petition. Now, one of the keys to a petition, and the petition is to support the America First policies to apply pressure to GOP candidates that are leaning rhino, and we want to make sure that the GOP uh, brass, top brass, Ronald McDaniel and associates, uh, get the message that we are not going to put up with her endorsing and supporting rhinos ever again. And that's what we're going to. And our goal is to primary out rhinos in the 2022 election. So all of those things are quite clear. But the idea is that we are going to be um but this uh but a small donation what it does is it it makes sure that you're a real person so that's why we require a donation to be on the petition and we're going to hand deliver that petition to Washington DC across about two blocks down from the nonprofit organization that uh, Leonardo has been working with for the last few years so, in any case, that's kind of what we're doing here. Now, I want to get to this other article uh, before we uh, head out of Dodge. It's, uh, we're running out of time quickly. Nine signs that pieces are being moved into place for a major Middle East war. The American people are really going to regret putting the warmongers back in control. Joe Biden has been in the white house for less than two months and the warmongers that biden has surrounded himself with have been feverishly setting the stage for the next war in the middle east i do not believe that it will start within the next week but i do believe that this is inevitable and i believe the same thing i've been thinking the same thing and um this person named tyler durden wrote this article and i it spoke to me He says, while President Trump was in the White House for four years, the U.S. didn't start any new conflicts. But now the Biden administration is quite determined to start projecting American influence all over the globe. Once again, most Americans don't understand the bigger picture. But the truth is that this is going to have very serious implications over the next few years. In this. uh, So number one, literally. So we're going to get to the nine points. Number one, literally one day after Biden was inaugurated, a massive U.S. military convoy rolled into Syria. A large U.S. military convoy entered northeastern Syria on Thursday, Syrian state news agency SANA reported. President Trump had tried very hard to disengage from the war in Syria. Every time he did, Lindsey Graham about cried, cried in his soup. Um, Every single time Trump tried to pull out, there was some sort of false flag attempt, a chemical weapons attack. Uh, when Khashoggi uh, got murdered, uh, Lindsey Graham was all upset, trying to use that as an excuse to stay in. Now Lindsey Graham is happy as a lark that he can stay in. 
Just a few, number two, just a few weeks later, Joe Biden conducted his first airstrike against Iranian-backed forces inside Syria. Okay, escalating that conflict even further. Uh, Keep in mind, Biden comes from the same people administration that financed and supported and aided and abetted ISIS by way of Benghazi. And we lost a lot of lives as a result of that. And uh, and there was a lot of lives lost, not just on our side, but uh, all over the place. So. Number three, of course it was inevitable that Iranian-backed forces would respond and they retaliated by launching rockets at a military base in Iraq where U.S. forces are stationed. I really believe that they're actually anti-Semitic, too. Mm-hmm. They support the BDS movement, the Palestinian Authority, and the socialists that are connected with that group. And so basically I think this is going to lead to the destabilization of Israel is what their goal is. I don't think they'll be successful because they're losers. Uh, of course, it was inevitable that Iranian would surprise would would reply. Just a couple of days ago, new Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said that there will be a U.S. military response at a time and place of our own choosing. Wow, tough talk from a moron. Number four, more U.S. airstrikes may come sooner rather than later. In fact, it is being reported that the U.S. has just sent six B-52 bombers to San- to Diego Garcia. So if you really want to know what a boneheaded uh, military um, infrastructure is going to be, mm-hmm. just look at the George W. Bush blueprint. Because whatever Bush, Enron, and uh, Cheney were doing uh, is exactly what Mm-hmm. The military-industrial complex has in store for us in the next few years. The Biden administration, number five, the Biden administration is also sending approximately 10,000 more U.S. troops to the Middle East. And Russia has been busy making moves in the region as well. On Friday, Russia conducted an airstrike on an oil-loading facility in Syria. See, like I say, Russia and Syria are joined at the hip. They're best friends. People don't understand the connection, the Russian connection with Syria. But Russia just signed a 50-year lease with Targus, their largest naval base, uh, the largest base outside of Russia. It's a naval base uh, on the western uh, region of Syria, closest to Cyprus. Number seven, meanwhile, Israel continues to hit strategically important targets inside Syria, on a regular basis, the following comes from a news report that was published in late February. In a lot of ways, Israel might be coerced into doing so if they're going to be part of a, a coalition or an alliance, and that's going to be that's going to suck Israel knee deep into a real problem. And so, uh, goes on number nine during a phone call last Thursday, uh, last Thursday between Kamala Harris and Benjamin Netanyahu. The Israeli prime minister made it exceedingly clear that his nation is ready to do whatever it takes to prevent the Iranians from developing their own nukes. Of course, they're between a rock and the war back in that place. Right. And that's a desperate move uh, that didn't need to be here. We had Iranian Iranians on their knees where they should be. And here we're back to where we were. Well, we're at the end of our show, obviously. Uh, my name's Scott Adams. My name's Leonore Corbetta. Be sure to check out scottadamshow.com for the latest podcast. Also, check out 
Our new sites, buglecall.org, our policy site, and magapac.org, our grassroots site. And uh, check them out and check out the podcasts, and we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye now. Right up to there.